What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. I came across some confessions from quarantine housework. And it says, I dusted once and it came back. I'm not falling for that trick again. (laughs) I heard of... uh, uh, parents and their daughter, and it says this, it says, um, my daughter was whining about her chores. She asked if she needed to vacuum the whole apartment, and I said, no, just do the floor. <laughs> Here's another one. Uh, what do you call that day when you finally do all the chores and the work you've piled up? Tomorrow. Yes, the art of procrastination. Do you know what chores really are? Chores are really the things all parents hate to do, and they delegate those duties to their children. (laughs) I've got one more for you. It says, why does it take Southerners so long to do their chores? Because slavery is illegal. (laughs) That's awesome. Hey, so one of my chores growing up was checking the mail. Every day when I would get off the school bus or I'd drive my car to school in high school, I would get there in that driveway and I'd go to that mailbox and I'd open up that mailbox and I'd, I'd get the letters that were normally 95 plus percent of the time addressed to my parents. I thought they were important people because they always got mail in their name. But come to find out, they were so important that the power company sent them the, the bill so they could, they could have uh, a place to stay and had all these other bills associated with the house. And, but every now and then, I would get mail. And man, I thought I was a king. When I got mail. Now, with the rise of technology, maybe you don't get mail like you used to. Maybe you get emails, and that's where you get your power bill sent, your water bill sent, and your mortgage, and all these other things. But you know, the the art of writing letters and cards has literally almost come to a close. I mean, it really has. I mean, think about it in your own life. When is, uh, because of the rise of phone calls and text messages and emails and, and FaceTime or whatever you use, you know, all these things, it, it just makes writing letters, going to the store and buying a card or getting out a pencil and a piece of paper and actually writing out dear so-and-so and writing a letter. I mean, when is the last time you wrote a card? Perhaps it was, uh, it was for a birthday or perhaps it was for a wedding shower or for a wedding itself or for a baby shower. Those are kind of the most important things that kind of we write cards to today as a whole, a general population. But it's interesting, in the ancient world, if you could not communicate with somebody face-to-face, they didn't have a telephone, they didn't have FaceTime, they didn't have text messaging, they didn't have emails, they didn't have uh, the, the typewriters or the telegrams or whatever has been used throughout history. They had to get out a papyrus, a, a, pe- a leaf or a piece of paper, like we would call it. And they'd have to get out their ink pad and, and get out their feather, if you will, and, and dip the end of that feather into the ink and start writing out a letter. And it's interesting, Second and Third John are the shortest letters in the New Testament. Philemon, of course, is the other one. 
But 2 John and 3 John are, are set apart because these are intimate letters. And, and 3 John is even more intimate than 2 John because 3 John mentions three individuals by name. Gaius, then Diotrephes, and then Demetrius. Three specific individuals by name. Now, if you write a letter today, you're going to say, dear so-and-so, and then you're going to sign your name at the very end. So if you get letter in the mail, if you get a, if you get a card and you, you go to your mailbox, you open it up, and if you want to know who it is, you look at the very end of that letter. But in the ancient world, it was not like that. They would write so-and-so's name very first to note who was writing the letter. And that's what John is doing here. He's describing himself in the term elder. And really the point of this letter, of course, this letter is, is more than just a letter. We know that God moved John to write this letter about these three individuals because there's a great overarching truth that we need to learn from this letter. And that is one word, hospitality. Would you say that with me? Hospitality, say it again, hospitality. And the title of my message today is simply this, the ministry of hospitality. So just as we've kind of lost the art of writing handwritten letters to people or cards, we've also lost the art of what is called hospitality. Because of the rise of hotels, because of the rise of VRBOs or Airbnbs or cabins or all these different things, when people come through an area, they no longer stay in people's homes. They stay in hotels. But see, in the ancient world, the hotels were here, they were very far and few in between. And then the ones that were in existence were, were really, they were prostitution homes. And so the idea of a traveling missionary, a traveling preacher, a traveling evangelist, an itinerant minister were to come into a town, they were to be hosted in the church or in a family member's house that was a part of a church. Everything in the ancient world revolved around the home. It was, of course, the family life was inside the home. The husband and wife and all the children and the extended families, they would come over and have meals together. They'd visit each other. But in, in, in addition to that, events in the community were surrounded by the home and especially the church. You see, to our best understanding, it was not until the third century is the earliest known church facility that was built. And so for the first two or 300 years of the early church, they met in people's homes. Oftentimes they would meet in wealthier people's homes because they often had bigger homes and had bigger estates so larger people could come. So you could easily host sometimes 100 or 150 people inside the property or campus of somebody's house. But so the church revolved around the home. And because of that, hospitality revolved around the home. And because of the rise of technology, I mean, let's just, let's just, Ask the question, when is the last time you hosted somebody outside of your immediate family in your house? If family comes to visit you, these days, with a few exceptions, they stay in a hotel because they want their own space. I mean, we're Americans. I need my own room. I need my own bathroom. Yeah. If you're looking for a house, you need a house that has equivalent amount of bedrooms and bathrooms because everybody needs their own bathroom. But in the ancient world, people stayed in homes. And today, I think that it's important that we realize that hospitality and our technological age is still something we need to emphasize. And we can emphasize it in different ways. But the key thought I have for us today is this thought. The Christian duty 
is to be actively engaged in hospitality. The Christian duty is to be actively engaged in hospitality. Now, I know you're probably asking, well, what exactly does hospitality mean in the ancient world? It simply means, or it's generally a term that was regarded as the practice of receiving somebody into your home as a guest, providing them food, shelter, and protection. And so that being said, as we are analyzing this letter, of course, there's three key figures that John writes here. Two or really one particular he's writing to, and he's writing about two other individuals, Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. And so what does the ministry of hospitality require? Or in other words, how can I be involved in the ministry of hospitality? Or the question is simply this, what does God require of those who are going to be hospitable? So that's the key question today. What does the ministry of hospitality require? And I have five thoughts I'm going to share with you from these 14 verses. So if you would, look at verses 1 through 4. In verses 1 through 4, we see the first requirement of the ministry of hospitality. And it is one word, charity. Would you say that with me? Charity. Say it again, charity. I know that's not a word you probably use a lot unless it's somebody's name. But the King James uses the word charity and it's a synonym for love. And here, it's interesting, when you read these, this book right here, notice the word well-beloved in verse number one. Notice the word beloved in verse number two. Notice the word beloved in verse number five. Notice the word charity in verse number six. And notice the word beloved or beloved in verse 11. This letter is immersed in the love that John had for these people and this individual. John, of course, is writing this letter later in life. He could be 90 to 100 years old-ish, or maybe in his upper 80s. And the best of our understanding, the time frame is, was sometime between 90 and 95 AD. So about the same time he wrote 1 John is the same time he wrote 2 and 3 John. And so with that being said, in these first four verses, I want to emphasize this thought. If you want to serve God with hospitality, it requires charity or love. The Bible says the elder. This is a synonym for the word pastor in the, in the New Testament. And it's the term that John is referring to himself just like in 2 John. And there's a long line of, of ancient church fathers who believe John wrote this letter. And we really have no need to question that. Because when you study 2 and 3 John and 1 John, you'll realize that the same writer is using the same terminology and has many of the same themes. And so John is writing to the, word, to the name, to the person Gaius. And it says, this is somebody that John loves in the truth. He, Gaius is a believer. He is somebody who's come to faith in Jesus Christ and has revol- his life revolves around the truth of the word of God. And then in verse number two, it says the word beloved again. And notice this verse. This is a verse that if you pull it out of its context, it might seem like that the prosperity gospel has a proof text. Because it says, beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and that you may be in health even as your soul prospers. So does this verse mean that we can go around and say that God wants everybody to always be healthy? That God wants everybody to always be rich? Well, there are obviously rich people and rich characters in the Bible. Abraham in the Old Testament was a very rich individual. We could highlight 
poor people in the Old Testament. We could highlight rich people in the New Testament. We could highlight poor people in the New Testament. God is not saying that in order to be a Christian, you have to either be rich or either be poor. You can be rich and be a Christian. You can be poor and be a Christian. But you can also be rich and be a non-believer and be poor and be a non-believer. This verse is an ancient custom. It's like, have you ever sent somebody a text message or sent them an email and you start off by saying, greetings, whoever, hello, so-and-so, dear, so-and-so. I hope this letter or this message finds you doing well. Well, just as we say, hope you're doing well, is the same idea that John is, is relaying this prayer of goodwill upon this guy named Gaius. And he says, I, I hope that, that just as your soul is prospering and just as your soul is healthy, I hope that you're healthy physically. And certainly, there are people today, even might be sitting here today, who have a disease, who have an illness, and God has allowed you to go through that illness so that God could be greatly glorified in and through you, in and through that illness. Today, I think of my grandmother on my father's side. She was born without any hair on her lungs, so she could not physically cough up mucus. I'm sorry uh, to, to share it that way, but she could not do that. And so they would have to lay her down on her back and have to tap her on the back, and, and then she could get that mucus out of her system. And she was in and out of the hospital many years of her life and was around all these different people. And God allowed my grandmother to have that disease so that she could be a light and a testimony in those situations. And today we see here, whether you're healthy or you have a clean bill from your doctor or, or maybe there's some issues with your health right now, God is allowing you to go through that so that God could be greatly glorified in you and through you. And today, we know that bodily exercise does profit little in this life, but it doesn't profit as much as spiritual exercise and spiritual discipline because that will last into eternity. So here, this is a well wish that John has for Gaius. But the emphasis here is on his soul. So just as your soul is prospering, Gaius, I hope that your physical health is prospering too. And then verse three says, for I rejoice. In other words, I was full of cheer. I was greatly full of cheer when all the brothers and sisters came and, and, and gave record or testified of the truth that is in you. And today, I think that we should rejoice greatly that if you are a believer today and you abide in the truth, you remain in the truth, it should bring great encouragement to all of us that are here today. Then the last part of verse three says, even as thou walkest in the truth. In other words, the word walk, remember, if you pull it out of its context, it means like my two legs are gonna be walking down the street. But in this context, it means their manner of life, how they live, the, the, their conduct. And then verse four, I love this verse, says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. I have no greater cheer than when I hear that the people that I have ministered to and served and led to Christ are still walking and abiding in the truth of God's word. Now, certainly, we can share all the statistics today about young people growing up in the home, a Christian home, growing up in a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church and going off to the university or whatever, and then shortly after, in their 20s, they walk away from the faith. But today, the Bible emphasizes here that we know that is gonna happen. The Bible speaks about apostasy and people walking away from the faith and most likely they were never part of the faith to begin with. But here, we should be encouraged that if your children are still abiding in the truth or that the children in our church are living out the gospel, 
we should rejoice. And John, in these first four verses, and really the whole letter here, if you want to adopt this idea of hospitality, you've got to show love. We see this idea here that he says that, Gaius, you are well-beloved. He says, Gaius, I hope that you're doing well, even as your soul is doing well. He says, Gaius, I'm rejoicing in how the truth is in you. And I praise God for how you're walking in the truth. It is very possible that John led Gaius to the Lord. Very possible. We don't know that to be true, but it is very possible. And so John is displaying this charity upon this individual. And just as John is doing that, listen, my friends, we need to show this love to people. And that's a way that in our culture, we can be hospitable. It's just by showing love. I mean, our world is so full of hate. If you don't have the same ideology or same philosophy, our world shows hatred. You don't like my football team? Well, I hate you. You don't like my favorite basketball team? Well, I hate you. And I don't wish you well. Listen, we've got to show love to people just like John did. But notice, secondly, what does this ministry of hospitality require? Well, not only charity, but it also requires generosity. So secondly, the ministry of hospitality requires generosity. Remember, the Christian duty is to be actively engaged in hospitality. In the ancient world, it did look a little differently than it does today, but the same principles apply to us. We are to show love to be hospitable, and we are to be generous. Notice what verse 5 says. Verse 5, it says, Beloved, you do faithfully what ever you do to the brethren, now check it out now, and to who? Say this word with me, strangers. Say it again, strangers. These are people that you do not know. Sure, you can know of them. You might have seen them walk down the street, but you do not know them in an intimate way. And the brethren, remember the church revolved around the house. It met in the home. They worshiped together. They got to know each other so well that they were in their homes. And then here it says that, hey, you have showed all these works done to the brethren, to the brothers and sisters of the household of faith that you perhaps oversee, but also to strangers, to people that are just walking down the street, walking in the marketplace. You have shown this kind of love and generosity to them. And notice verse 6, it says, which have borne witness of your charity before the church. The word church does not mean the building. It means the body. I know that we have a church facility here, and there's nothing wrong with having a building that is set apart from other facilities that, that is used to just simply and solely worship God. And here we, we understand that you can meet in a house, or you can meet in a building, or you can meet in a garage, or you can meet in a barn, or you can meet in the school auditorium. And no matter where you are, that does not make you the church. What makes us the church is the body. I like what one preacher said for the children. The church is not the steeple. The church is the people. And if we could just understand that, we would understand what he's meaning here. He says that your charity, your love before the church has been shown whom if you bring forward on their journey after a godly sword, you will do well. But then verse seven, it says, because that for his name's sake, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. Now, I'm of the persuasion that the word his name 
It's not referring to John's name. It's not referring to Gaius' name. It's not referring to Diotrephes' name and not referring to Demetrius' name. I'm of the persuasion that it's referring to the mighty name of Jesus Christ. This is the name that is greater than any other name. And here, literally, this word Gentiles, it means pagans. It means those who are heathens and those who are not a part of the church. And he is literally saying that you have not received any aid from the pagan, idolatrous culture. Your aid has been from the church and you have helped the church. And then in verse number eight, he leads up to his argument right here in verse eight. He says, we therefore, so because of all this, we ought. Now this is that moral obligation. It is not a suggestion. It is a divine commandment. We ought to receive, to accept, to bring people in that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Listen to this quote. One commentator said, those who offered hospitality, that is bringing somebody in their home, letting them stay as a guest, providing them food and shelter and protection. Those who offered hospitality participated in the traveler's ministries and received a reward for doing so. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10? In Matthew chapter 10 and verses 41 and 42, Jesus said that he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. In other words, if you host a traveling missionary or preacher or pastor or evangelist in your home, you are aiding in the work that they are engaged in in that community. And so in a sense, because you're hosting them, you're feeding them, you're taking care of their physical needs, you are benefiting from everything that they do on your spiritual account. And as we think about this, we know that we need to show generosity to everybody here. We need to do that. But also we are called to show generosity to everybody outside these four walls. And then if there is a traveling missionary, traveling evangelist that's come through town and they are Orthodox, they believe the gospel, they believe the fundamental tenets of the Christian faith, we should not refuse aid to them as Diotrephes did. And that leads us to a third thought today. Not just how this is the Christian duty to show hospitality, that is regarding charity and generosity. Yes, I believe we should love much and we should be generous to much. But in verses nine and 10, there's almost a shift in this letter. Now the focus is no longer on Gaius, but it's on this guy named Diotrephes. Would you say that with me? Diotrephes, say it again, Diotrephes. Aren't you glad your mama didn't name you that? <laughs> What's up, Diotrephes? How you doing today? <laughs> I'm glad my parents didn't name me Diotrephes. I'd rather have Brian, that's for sure. But in this, in this, third, these, this third section, here's a thought I wanna share with you. The ministry of hospitality requires humility. It requires humility. And here's where the rubber meets the road in the American culture. My house is my home. You're not invading my space. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I can't give up my nice king-size Tempur-Pedic mattress or queen-size, whatever you have. I'm not doing that. Uh-uh. uh-uh. I'm not sleeping on no air mattress. It's my home. Uh-uh. You can sleep in the doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> And that's how Diotrephes was in the ancient world. 
You know, I think there's this, this idea in our culture today that if we could just get back into the Reformation period, if we could just get back into the early church, all the problems of the church would disappear. Not so. The same problems that we face today is the same problems they faced then. See, Diotrephes was most likely some type of leader in the church. Now, it is very possible that Gaius and Diotrephes were leaders in the same church. And Diotrephes did not want to do and show this level of hospitality to these traveling missionaries and evangelists. And so check it out now. John says in verse number nine, he says, I wrote to the church. Now, I'm not gonna bore you with this, but there are some people who say that this was a reference to 2 John or 1 John. And the reason why I don't believe that is because none of those other letters talk about the situation that's going down in, chapter, in this third book named 3 John. And so I believe these first words in verse nine is a reference to a letter that John wrote that has been lost. Now, if I'm wrong about that, we'll find out when we get to heaven. But then it says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes. When somebody says, but it is not always a good thing. I love you, but. <laughs> you, that was a great sermon, but it was too long. <laughs> that was a great sermon, but, or whatever, you know? And so here it says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence. Now this word preeminence, my understanding is it only occurs one other time in the Bible and it occurs in Colossians. And in the book of Colossians, it says that Christ is to have the preeminence in our life. In other words, he is supposed to have first place. And it says that Diotrephes likes or loves to have the preeminence among them and receives us not. So the idea here, if we could fill in the blanks here, Diotrephes got a hold of this letter that John wrote and Diotrephes did not read that to the church. In fact, he probably got rid of that church and that's why it's lost. got rid of that letter and that's why it's lost. And Diotrephes refused to let these people into the homes. And then he kicked out anybody in that church who allowed people to come and stay in their homes. And so as I read verse nine, here's a thought I want to share. Pride robs God of his rightful place in our lives. Pride robs God of his rightful place in our lives. And if we truly wanna be hospitable in the American culture, yes, we've gotta show charity. Yes, we've gotta show generosity, but we have to humble ourselves and remind ourselves that this house that I'm living in, it's really not my house. It's God's house that God is allowing me to be a steward of. This automobile that I'm driving, it's really not my car. It is the car that God has blessed me with to be a steward of. And if God wants me to use this for his glory in any way, I should. The bank account that I have, it's not the money that I earned in my, my, my hard working hours, my 40 hour work week every week. It is the money that God blessed me with from having this job that he opened the opportunity to give me. And when we humble ourselves before God, we say, God, how do you want me to be hospitable with the money that you've given me? God, how do you want me to be hospitable with the tangible assets that I have, like my car, like my guitar, like my piano, like my this and like my that? God, how do you want me to be hospitable with the home in which you bless me with to reside in? C.S. Lewis said, pride is the mother hen under which all other sins are hatched. Now that's good. That's good preaching. And I'm here to tell you, don't have, as Chuck Swindoll said, the diatrophies disease. 
Don't have it. Because when you, when you begin to allow this disease to infect your being, you will develop pride. And pride is the sin that kicked Lucifer out of heaven. Pride is the sin that keeps people out of heaven because they're not willing to humble themselves before God and say, God, I am a sinner. You are the perfect sinless Savior. And the only way that I can obtain this righteousness is through the cross and through the blood of Christ. Pride robs God of his rightful place in our lives. I have to check myself. In fact, as I, I was reading this text, oh man, the, the, this, these two verses, verse nine and 10, it was like I walked into the, the ring and I was facing Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali was going to town against me, but it was really the text beating me up and reminding me that, that I am guilty of pride, just like all of us here today are. Verse 10, it goes on to say, wherefore, if I come. <laughs> now remember, John is, was the youngest known apostle amongst the 12 that Jesus chose. And John was the, the one to live the longest. And so John had what we call apostolic authority. John was the one who, who lived when Jesus lived and heard him preach and heard him teach and served alongside him. And he's the one that Jesus commissioned himself. So John had some authority. And it says here, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth. Pratting against us with malicious words. Think about this. Pride opens the doorway for us to gossip and slander. Pride opens the doorway for us to gossip and slander. Listen, this word pratting, it's an old word that simply means babbling. He or she is a babbler. She's got the gift of babbling. He's got the gift of babble. All that preacher does is babble and babble on in his sermon. And here, Diotrephes was speaking evil words against John the Apostle. And perhaps even saying that when John sends missionaries to us, don't host them in our homes. Today, as we think about this, gossip and slander goes beyond what is factual. So if I told you that LeBron James scored 45 points in the game and had 15 rebounds and had 25 assists, I'd be telling you the facts about the game. But if I were going to say, now the way, well, no, 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 I know you didn't see the ESPN highlights, but, but the way LeBron James scored all these points is, man, he elbowed that guy in the nose and he did this and he did all that. And the refs, they couldn't call a foul because, you know, he's got a lot of money. They can't, they can't, they can't control him. I would be taking the facts and turning it into gossip and slander. And so the temptation for us today is simply this, is to say things about people that are beyond speculation and that are accusations that are not true. It was a temptation for them and the diatrophies disease had it all over it. Yes, he was consumed by pride and because he was consumed by pride, he began to gossip and slander about John the apostle himself, man. And then about John's um, people serving underneath him. And so pride for us, it's gonna open up the same door. So I submit to us all today, let's close the doorway to pride in our life. 
Then, as you continue to read verse 10, it says, Not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren. So pride makes us extremely self-centered. Now, I understand we're all fallen creatures. And so we're all guilty of being self-centered. But when we are consumed by pride, it's as if the universe revolves around me, myself, and I. And it's not good. Because our life should revolve around Jesus. The life of our church should revolve around Jesus. Everything that we do should revolve around Jesus, not be centered around me. Now, I know you might have an important job. You do. I know that you might father and mother children, and, and you do, or you have. And you are very important. But none of us here today, hear me well, are so important that everything in this life revolves around us. And then the last part here, it says, he forbids them to come into these homes. And, 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 and John writes and says that he's even casting them out of the church. Listen to this. Pride provokes us to abuse power. Pride provokes us to abuse power. And that's what's going on right here in Diotrephes' life. He's so consumed with pride that God has lost his rightful place in his life, that he's gossiping and slandering, and that he is super self-centered. And now he has a powerful position in the church, and he's abusing that power. Any position in the church, whether you have the seat that I have, if you will, or you have the seat of Pastor Dave, or you have the seat of some of the deacons here, or you have the seat of like a Sunday school teacher or a teacher on Wednesdays, whatever kind of seat of power you might have in this church, it is to be ruled with humility. It is to be served with humility and humbleness and to read arrogancy out every aspect. So how's your pride? If you could rate yourself on a scale of one to 10, one being extremely minimal and 10 being extremely prominent, how would you say your level of pride is? I understand church discipline is important. It is. We're called to do it at times and it can be very, very painful. But what Diotrephes was doing was abusing the power of leadership in the church and abusing church discipline. So when we enter church discipline, remember, remember what Galatians says, that we, we are doing this in a spirit of humility and fear in case we fall into the same temptation. So this ministry of hospitality, it requires humility, it requires generosity, and it requires charity. But now look at verses 11 and 12. In verses 11 and 12, now John's focus is no longer on Gaius. It is no longer on Diotrephes. It is now upon this guy named Demetrius. And so the fourth thought I want to share with you is this. The ministry of hospitality requires testimony. It requires a testimony. Here he says, beloved, speaking, about, speaking to directly Gaius, he says, follow not that which is evil, but follow that which is good. In other words, in the context here, he's saying, hey, continue to do what you're doing and following the teachings of Christ and following what we have taught you. Don't follow after the evil ways of Diotrephes. 
He says, if you do good, you are of God. If you do evil, you haven't seen God. And we are to be reflections of the God that we have experienced through salvation. And then verse 12, it says, Demetrius. Now we know nothing outside of this one verse in the New Testament about this character. So you can get out your Holman Bible Dictionary or whatever Bible Dictionary you have, and you can look up the name Demetrius, and all you're going to find is what's written down in this verse right here. It says, Demetrius has a good report among all men. And it's important that your testimony is well known among society. Then it says, and of the truth itself, that your testimony is a testimony that is verified and backed by the truth of God's word. And then it says, and we bear also, so your testimony is not only seen in society, but it's also seen in the assembly. But then this man's testimony had the apostle John's word. Now, have you ever applied for a new job and asked somebody to be a letter of recommendation? Have you ever done that? Well, you kind of have to these days. Getting a job is, is not like a, a verbal agreement or a handshake anymore. You've got to have all these sources and references. And imagine, imagine Demetrius is applying for a position in this primitive home church. And his recommendation letter is the Apostle John. That would carry an insane amount of weight. And this literally is John's recommendation verse for him. And so he's saying, he's going to say here to when he comes, and it is very possible that Demetrius is the one carrying this little letter to Gaius. And so here, when Gaius is reading this letter, he comes to verse number 12, and he looks up and he is praising God that this man has John's blessing. Testimony. How's your testimony amongst our church family? How's your testimony amongst your workplace? How's your testimony amongst society? How's your testimony amongst your family? Because your family knows you best. But then the final thought is from verses 13 and 14. What does this ministry of hospitality require? It requires intimacy. The ministry of hospitality, fifthly and finally, requires intimacy. Look at verse 13. John says, I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto you. Same kind of conclusion as 2 John. He says, but I trust I shall shortly come to see you. And we will speak face to face. In other words, we will, we will speak mouth to mouth in person to person. And he says, peace be to you, peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee, greet the friends by name. As we read these two verses, this is a level of intimacy that John the apostle had for Gaius. And listen, I know that we have technology today that you can get out your phone, you can make a phone call, you can, you can get on here and you can FaceTime somebody and you can see them virtually and talk to them through the internet waves. You can send a text message. But there is something special about visiting somebody face to face. 
whether it's over a cup of coffee, whether it's inside your home or their home, or whether it's at a restaurant, there is something special about being there in person together. And John had that intimacy in this relationship with Gaius. Hospitality is not foreign to the Bible. Rahab, the harlot, we read she's known in scripture as a harlot. She received those spies into her home and she was hospitable towards them. And in fact, the Old Testament law, the first five books of the Bible, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, merged in there, speaks about how the Israelites were called to hospitality because at one time they were strangers and foreigners in Egypt. And it is nothing foreign to the New Testament. In fact, anybody who wishes to be a pastor or an elder or a bishop has to have a character trait of being hospitable. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. You can check it out yourself. But it's also a general requirement for every Christian. You say, I don't believe that. It's just for you, Pastor Brian. Well, I'm glad you think that because in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes and he says these words in verse 13. He says, distributing to the necessity of saints, and check it out now, he says, given to hospitality. In other words, that we are to practice hospitality as if it's a daily habit in our life. And then in Hebrews, it speaks about how we will entertain strangers unaware. I don't know about you, but as I've been studying this letter this past week, as I've been meditating on these words, I've realized how my hospitality has not been what it should. And I wonder if you could. A multiple choice answer here. If God were to give you a one question examination and it says, how is your hospitality level? A, B, C, D, or F? Would you pass with flying colors? Would you barely scrape by with a D? Or would you fail? My friends, this is the ministry of hospitality. And we are called to be engaged in it daily. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.